Hi, I'm Carol. I'm a compulsive overnumber eater. Hi, Carol. I have some pictures. They're moldy old pictures. But many do see, but um, take the gander at them. So, um, thank you, Don, for asking me to, to share. I think a lot of people are up in Palm Springs today, which is nice because it feels kind of, kind of intimate, and I like that. Um, this uh, meeting is my home meeting, and, and I consider all you guys family. So, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I, you know, I, I've had sort of a stressful, overwhelming week, and it just cracks me up that it never fails that you speak at a big meeting when you had a stressful. It's like never when everything rainbows and unicorns, you never get out. <laughs> so, um, but it, it hasn't been that bad. <laughs> um, I. Uh, I haven't heard a whole lot about honesty lately. I, I just started attending this new big book um, study meeting, uh, and it's like hardcore, no open sharing, read and discuss the book only. Um, and I it's such a commitment there because I needed an extra meeting, and I knew it would be good for me. Um, but sometimes I don't feel like going, but I always come out of it feeling like I've either had a, a rigorous workout or the dental hygienist has scraped all the Yeah, I just feel fortified with this program. And, um, you know, we read like the, the index and the forward to the forward and the, you know, D, V, I, I, I page. And the, uh, so it's really hardcore. And what I kept hearing is honesty, honesty, honesty. And then I was here one week and was vaguely listening to someone read how it works. And I was like, oh, rigorous honesty, there's that word again. Um, and so it, it dawned on me that um, the two most different things about me uh, now compared to before recovery is that I eat very differently and I'm, and I'm pretty like 99.99% honest. Um, and I used to be a pathological liar. Um, and that... I think that's the that's the real dramatic um, paradigm shift for me is uh, letting go of the dishonesty. Um, so I'm going to talk about that, but just for the handful of you who may not have heard my my general story, um, my story is, is really pretty typical with one left turn. Um, I believe I was born compulsive. There's anecdotal evidence to back up that idea. I began acting out with food around eight years old, began putting on weight. You see the, the school pictures at the end of the year, I just kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, and so I was obese about sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, and um, I had all those lovely things that go along with being a fat kid. Right? Anybody need to hear that, the litany of that? No, I think we all know it. Um, you know, I was teased, I felt alone, I didn't feel part of it. And then I lost weight. Uh, at fat camp, glorious fat camp, uh, between seventh and eighth grade, um, and I really felt like a whole new life was going to uh, happen for me. Hello, and uh, and then the left turn in my story is that I got sick when I was thirteen. I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, so um, I was thin. Uh, and I, I had this fantasy that finally I would have friends, possibly even a boyfriend, and at the very least I wouldn't stand out for the wrong reasons. And there I was standing out for the wrong reasons, and I had excruciating pain as a bonus. Um, and so I, uh, then things get really, really typical again. I decided if I was going to be crippled, I wasn't going to be fat too, and I just began a couple decades of yo-yo dieting. Um, and like I've heard many people share, um, my 
my disease got progressively worse. The swings of the pendulum up and down the scale got wider and wider. The amount of food I would pack away um, when I was binging up was uh, got more and more extreme. And the mental obsession and the tactics I would use to lose weight um, also got more and more extreme. And 14 years and about 30 days ago, um, <laughs> I was just, I was just beat, you guys. I, um, I was on my way back up to scale physically, but mentally and spiritually, I was completely bottomed out, and I, I really, it sounds very dramatic, but I'd lost the will to live. Um, and I am not um, a, a naturally depressive person. Um, gratefully, that's not something that I've had to deal with, clinical depression. So it was a really uncomfortable place for me, and I didn't feel like myself anymore. Um, and I remember uh, there, I, I've seen a, the same rheumatologist for like 23 years now, and in the, in the first decade that he knew me, he saw me go up and down with the weight. And um, I remember during that last starve down, being in an appointment with him, and I said, six, five, five pounds, six, seven, six, five pounds. And, and he was like, I'm crazy. And, uh, and he's like, well, maybe you'll keep it off this time. And I said, um, no, I won't. No, I'll get it back. I know I'll get it back. But, you know, then I get to eat all this amazing food, and, like, that'll be fine. And then I get the thrill of losing it again. And he was just like, God. Like, <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, I was not even in denial, you know. I didn't pretend I was buying food for the party at the 7-Eleven. I went to the same 7-Eleven every night. <laughs> he knew I wasn't that popular. Um, I didn't. I, I no longer felt the need to, to, to cover up because I was. I was very. You know, one of the things I'm kind of blessed with is some self-awareness and a lot of self-awareness. And they say it doesn't avail you anything, but I, you know, controversially disagree with that. I think it avails you the opportunity to make a different choice. Um, and I just was beat. I was beat. Um, so I crawled in here on my belly, and I was one of those people who struck abstinence. Um, but my my food and abstinence, and, and my abstinence pretty much all along has been three meals a day and a snack, nothing in between. Every once in a blue moon, I'll combine a meal, um, but I always have the stack, so I, I eat at least three times and then more than four times. Um, and that, and, you know, and, and a lot of other things, I, I pray for meals, I turn over my food up when I did in my day. I, with the program, um, and I try to eat healthy, moderate food. Um, but three meals a day in the snack is pretty much the new for me. And in the beginning, my, my food looked a lot like um, what it looked like before I came to the program. Before I came to the program, even on a, uh, in a binge cycle, it was next to nothing for breakfast. Um, and when I was first diagnosed, they were like, okay, so don't take medicine on an empty stomach. You need to take this with food, okay? You got it? You need to take it with food. Don't take it with an empty stomach or, you know, to damage your stomach. But I wanted a fat, so of course I took food. <laughs> I took medication on an empty stomach. And I got to the point where I, my stomach just it, it exploded. And uh, my doctor was just like, oh, your stomach is really, you know, irritating. You're, you're not taking medication on an empty stomach, are you? Like, you know, you know, you're not, just 20 years, you know, I was like, yeah, I do. So, so then after that point, I had to take the, minute, the least amount of breakfast I could get away with um, with the, the medicine. And I would I would skip lunch before, because lunch was for witches and clunk lunch. <laughs> um, and then I would have, you know, I would just have a restaurant meal with a 7-Eleven chaser and things all night, so I passed out. So, uh, in, in, 
when I, the first four or five months of abstinence, it was, you know, that minimal little breakfast, um, some minimal little lunch, a very large dinner and a very large snack, but the difference was um, that dinner and, that I didn't skip lunch, and dinner and snack had a beginning and all then. But it was pretty, you know, pretty imperfect and sloppy, but it was abstinence, um, to my definition of abstinence. Um, and then I had the opportunity, which unfortunately I cannot invite all of you uh, to do the thing that I did, uh, but I had to go back to East for a couple months at surgery, and I was fed by my mother for two, two months. And I uh, was packed with the cat, and off I went. And uh, she, uh, she would get me my tiny little low-cal breakfast bar for, for breakfast, and she'd say, oh, fruit it out, oh, fresh fruit, how much fruit? You know, and she'd slip the fruit in there. And then she fed me these, these healthy meals, these, you know, lean meat and crunchy things like food, maybe little, you know, pieces of rice. And, and I, I developed the habit um, of eating healthy, and my, my, my body and my soul began to create, crave um, this healthy way of eating. And um, I was uh, getting ready to return to, to L.A., and, it, and I realized, I had one of those moments of clarity, um, that in the, you know, at that point, 10 years I've lived out here, that I never made it home from LAS without stopping at a restaurant, you know? Like, it was, I was so deprived of that restaurant food. Um, the funny thing is, now I go back east for, for a couple weeks and she wants to eat out three or four times, and I'm like, oh my God, at a restaurant food. Um, but that was always something that I, I would eat out five to seven nights a week. Um, and I certainly couldn't afford that financially. Um, and we all know that when you go to a restaurant, the portion is big, it's greasy, it's cheesy. Now, now I know some restaurants where I can go and get, you know, <coughs> big chicken and steamed vegetables. <laughs> but I'm just like, oh, it's so cheap. It's so much cheaper if I do it at home. So, um, so I do do that sometimes. But I came back to determine the follow food plan and get a food sponsor. And I was going to commit my food for the month and, you know, budget it all out. And um, I met a wonderful food sponsor who didn't work that way. And for a moment I resisted and then I surrendered. And um, I've been committing my, not committing, turning over my food to him ever since. Um, and I, in the beginning I had a boundary of about one restaurant, one eating out a month. Um, and uh, it really was for me to develop a new habit of going to the grocery store, buying food, like actual food, um, preparing food for myself, um, and washing my, my dishes. You know, it was, a, it was a self-care thing that I had to train myself to do, and it, it ended up being very esteemable. Um, and, and I continue that. I, I see that about couple times a month now. And, I, you know, I work out of my home. I'm single. I don't have kids. There is no reason for me to go eat out a whole lot. Um, so now I sort of force myself to do that socially because I'm alone a lot. So it's nice to um, be with other people. And, and so that, so I was struck abstinence, but it was very messy in the beginning, and then it, then it cleaned up. And I've and I got to tell you, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, the food is effortless for me. Um, and I, I, uh, I turn it over, I, I, I write the exact nature of my food and I email it to my food sponsor. And then when I reach the 10th step for the first time, I ask them, you know, what, do you, what did you do for 10th steps? Something I did a lot earlier in the program is ask questions. What did you do about a higher power? What meetings do you go to? What, you know, what do you eat? I mean, I literally say, what do you eat? Um, 
And he told me about this AEIAU format for Tempstep. And I said, would you be willing to take that in addition to my food? And he said, bring it on. And so it's in. Um, and I, I kind of refer to him as my accountability sponsor now. Um, and, that, and I find that's one of my favorite tools. And it goes back to the idea of honesty. Um, you know, anything that goes in my mouth and I, I just look, I'm not, I'm not dating. Um, <laughs> Uh, gets recorded to him if I lick the, the knife, you know, when I'm preparing meals. You know, I, I admit it to him, and he never judges. You got that later, didn't you, Shannon? Yeah. Uh, he never judges. He doesn't comment unless I ask a particular question. And for me, um, that's like a magic bullet for keeping my food clean. Um, I... I admit the exact nature of my food to him, and so there's no secret, and today's food doesn't inform on tomorrow's food in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I began weighing and measuring because nobody asked me to. Some people I heard, some people did, some people didn't. Um, I began weighing and measuring because uh, I wanted to know what, what I was eating. I, wanted, I didn't know what portions were. I, you know, I realized I always looked at the uh, calories for serving and servings per bag and did the math and knew how much my binge was going to be. Um, but there's this other um, piece of information in that nutritional uh, thing that says suggested serving size. Oh, so I didn't know what a serving was. So I, I learned those things, and, I, and it's very, I don't drive my food scale to reference or anything, but I use my food scale because it's a no-brainer. It takes, takes that stuff out of, out of my, you know, hands. Um, and so... I remember hearing someone at a meeting, at a self-study meeting, sharing about how, well, you know, I, I admit my food to my sponsor, but I, you know, I lie a little. I'll say, I'll say some when it's, you know, few and it's really some, or, or two and it was really four. You know, you know, we all do that. And I wasn't, like, sitting there judging him, but it dawned on me. It was like, no, I, I don't do that. <laughs> like, I'm really ridiculous. Like, I will, like, you know... Two days ago, I forgot that I had, you know, uh, an extra glass of lemonade. You know, whatever. Like, I, you know, just end the poor guy. Um, I don't know that he reads them thoroughly, and I don't blame him, and that's fine. Um, I just really want him to outlive me. And, and I really, I'm committed to doing that for this moment. Um, and so, <clears throat> before I came in program, I was a pathological liar. And I would lie about everything. I would lie about big things, small things. I would lie to look good. I would lie to avoid looking bad. Um, and somehow when I got in program, you know, when I was looking at the, the most egregious of my character defects, um, the dishonesty was really glaring. And that, for some miracle, uh, is the character defect that I have been able to mostly uh, let go of. Um, and it's really, it, it makes me feel better about myself, you know, and I, I can't unring the bell. I know when I'm lying, and I know when I'm lying to myself, and I, and I, there's no doing that and not being aware of it anymore. So when I'm late for a doctor's appointment, which I am often, um, you know, I'm late because I just say I'm sorry I'm late. And, and I'm late because I leave on time. <laughs> you know, sometimes I leave like if I if I got over there with, and making every red light, and I could press the button and my car would turn into a briefcase, and then it would be beamed up to the front desk. <laughs> then I, that's how much time I usually leave, and, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm late a lot of times. Um, so I I get to be honest, and um, 
spent like seven minutes left. I, uh, you know, a lot of other things in my life are a mess. Um, I watch too much TV. I have this new obsession with online video games, which is just embarrassing and demoralizing. And now we're in my hand aching and thinking this will be the last game. No, I need to play another question. Um, I snap at people. I control them. You like to control things. So uh, I, you know, my, my character defects, I have good days and bad days. Um, and I, I think of it in terms of trying to keep my batting average up, which is uh, batting average is, is uh, calculated successful, successes divided by opportunities. Um, so sometimes I'm batting, batting pretty high, and sometimes I'm on the Mendoza line, and, and, uh, <laughs> and I just have to do better tomorrow. You know, and I get to start write about that in my 10th step, and I do talk to my sponsor um, for six days a week. Uh, and I get to admit my fault, make amends where appropriate, and, uh, and, and get to do it all over again tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day. Um, but those two things, the food and the being honest, um, are, are kind of like cornerstones of my recovery. And I, I sometimes have survivor's guilt. Like, why am I able to be obstinate when I see a lot of my friends struggling and coming in and out um, from, from relapse? And I'm like, why is it so effortless for me? Um, and I, and I, I think one part of it was that I was really profoundly unhappy when I came in, and I didn't want to be like that. Um, and the other part of it is that I don't bullshit myself. Uh, I, I'm, I'm completely honest with myself, some sort of higher power, and I'm every human being every day on the exact nature of my food and my day. And I think that, I don't know, I check back with me in another 10 years, maybe I'll have a different theory on why I'm able to be abstinent. But, um, but I have been, and... You know, sometimes you say, well, oh, you know, God willing, in a month I'll have you know, X number of years. And I kind of laugh at that because, like, God is willing for me to be abstinent. Um, it really is kind of like, am I willing, am I willing, am I willing to do God's will, am I willing to keep, you know, do what I say I'm going to do, keep the commitment that I made to myself and, that, and my loved ones? Because I was pretty miserable to be around uh, when I was before recovery. Um, I love my mom dearly, but I do describe her to some people as me without recovery. Um, <laughs> I, I edit these things and I edit that out if you know what I was saying. Anyway, too close. So I'm going to try to talk a little bit about God, higher power, in the last five minutes. And, um, you know, it's, it's an area, in the beginning, I was just so spent. I, I was just, great, God, I don't, it's fine, you know? <laughs> I was like, anything, I'll do anything. Um, and I did come up with a concept of God that worked for me for, for many of the beginning years. Um, that was more of a personified, you know, someone who loved me unconditionally and had my back and was taking care of me. Um, and I couldn't use the word God at first, I used the word Peggy, a story about that. And, and that worked for a long time. And, and now I don't mind the word God, it's sort of shortened, one syllable, it's a code word. But, um, but anymore, you know, Carol always talks about how uh, when you get to about seven, eight years, it starts getting really hard and it's an internal job and all that. And, uh, you know, I, I have uh, in the last you know, five, six years, I've struggled somewhat with this idea of um, 
you know, any sort of personified kind of today Christian dude in the clouds with the white beard kind of God. It, it, it feels a little Pollyanna for me. And, um, you know, when you're a kid who sees miserably and you're fat and obese and you lose all your weight and then you get a crippling, degenerative, highly painful, highly embarrassing disease six months after you lose weight, it's tough to think, well, there's a God who only wants what's best for me out there. You know, that it's tough to reconcile my, my brain around that. Um, and I did have feelings like, you know, balance, good and bad in the world, and, and you know, this was my burden, and it scared some other kid. Um, and that makes some sense to me. But this, um, this personified God just doesn't, doesn't really jive with me anymore. And actually, um, I sort of stole something from Don. I heard him speak several years ago, and he talked about sort of the, the universal flow. And, and kind of swimming with the tide, nice and easy, and going with the universe, rather than flailing and, and, and resisting. Um, and I like that idea. I, I talk about the universe a lot. Um, I definitely know that there's a power greater than myself, and that, that somebody rolls in the tide at night, and it's not me, or something rolls in the tide at night. Um, and I definitely use the program as a power greater than myself, um, as a telephone. Uh, but with that universal flow, you know, you think, well, but your disease could trick you. How do you know, you know, if it's not the disease saying, come this way, it's easy. And I thought last night, it's like, well, I'm swimming with this high of the universe, and my disease comes up in a motorboat. Hey! I'll just do this. No thanks. I'll do the whole work. I'll swim. You know, I don't trust you to take me where you say you're going to take me. Um, and so for right now, you know, I do pray, and sometimes it feels a little rote right now, but... But I, um, I ask for I ask to be kind and patient, and loving myself and others, to find opportunities to be of service, strike a healthy balance of productivity and recreation. Um, balance is a big part of my recovery, um, and to uh, to note to know your role for me in giving the power and passion to carry that. And I don't know who you is. I don't know if it's my higher self, I don't know if it's the universe, I don't know if it's good common sense or good orderly direction. Um, but I do, I do uh, say that prayer and I, and I end it with, uh, you know, I love you and I'm grateful. And I could just be saying, I love you universe, um, I love you OA fellows, uh, I love myself, I love myself enough to take care of myself and, and be a loving, contributing part of humanity. That's my time. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of the leader's anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Please got questions. Can you explain to me how you work with your sponsor, what you get out of it? Um, okay. So the question is, how do I work with my sponsor and what I get out of it? Um, well, I, I feel like I, oh my gosh, I've changed sponsors so many times. I've had three in 14 years, but probably not that many. Um, and I did change sponsors recently. Um, 
And how I work with, with my new sponsor now is that I call him six nights a week, and he's a night owl like I am. So I get to call him at the end of my day. Like, I call him between, like, 11.30 and 12.30 at night, which is awesome for me. Um, because it's a way for me to, you know, just check in, you know, and tell on myself. You know, I just, I was nasty with someone. Or I was, I didn't get a lot of exercising today. Um, and so right now with him, it's just a check-in call. Um, I have worked the, the steps uh, a couple times with my first sponsor, once with the second sponsor, and, um, and I haven't yet um, with this new sponsor. Um, I think maybe we will. Um, and I've worked the steps out of the OA workbook. I've worked it out of the Big Book in 12 and 12. I've uh, read a paragraph, written a paragraph with the AA 12 and 12. So I've done it a few different ways. Um, but I do like checking in with my sponsor regularly. That helps my program. And, and you know, my first sponsor was busy. She said, really, do you need to talk, do you need to talk every day? Um, she the way she worked her program, you know, that wasn't something that felt necessary for her, but it was something that I wanted. Um, and um, I changed sponsors originally, and I was with the first sponsor for over 10 years, um, because what I wanted was long-term abstinence. Um, and the sponsor I've been working with is a dear, sweet woman who I am still friendly with, um, and, and I love her to death. Um, she had relapsed a couple times. Um, so I got a sponsor was over 30 years. <laughs> because at that point, I, it was a pretty, you know, I was in that period where I was not feeling very good. Um, and I didn't know if any of the promises were, were applicable to me because I'm so terminally unique. But long-term abstinence felt doable. It felt like a, something that I could do with the health program. So I got a sponsor with long-term abstinence. And, um, and I, you know, I worked with steps with her we were doing a tradition study. And, Things were working out for me in terms of um, the commitment in the relationship. I, I felt less commitment from my sponsor than I wanted and was giving, and so I switched to the sponsor. And, and right now, just, just, um, just talking. And what I came out of it is I just connected the program. I'm accountable. Accountability goes along with the honesty. It, it, it's a big ass part of my recovery. So, long winded. Julie? Okay, so the question is uh, that I mentioned that I wasn't sure the promises uh, were for me um, and how have I come to believe that they are? Uh, you know, wax and wane. Yeah, we got to break them down. Um, I, I think I, I spoke at the promises meeting, and I think I, I'm not, the promise I spoke at was intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Um, I, do, I, I do feel that in my life. Uh, even as, as simple as going to a grocery store and knowing how to buy healthy, fresh food. <laughs> what I shared was like I knew where the salty snacks were and where the, the sugary snacks were and where the Diet Coke was. In the, in the, before, but the rest of the aisles have no idea. And so, so I do intuitively know how to handle situations to choose to me. I know to call a friend. I know to write a 10 step. I know to report it to my sponsor. I know to make amends, that, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it's not that... Um, it's not that all of, none of the promises come true. The thing that, that triggers me is this life behind, beyond my wildest dreams idea. 
Um, and it's always been difficult for me. Um, I, uh, I have pretty wild dreams, you guys. Like, I don't know if whoever wrote that, you know, has sort of more moderate dreams than I have. Um, uh, I have pretty big dreams. And, um, uh, I, you know, eating the way I eat now and being honest the way I am now is it, beyond what I ever imagined would be possible for me. Um, but there's, there's a, you know, I have some entitlement issues. I have, okay, God, I'm not healthy, I'm not beautiful, I'm not going to be a mommy and be, you know, a spouse, but I get to sell the model, right? right? I get career success, right? But, you know, I'm such a good sport about this other stuff. But you're going to give me what, that one little thing that I want, that I'm asking for, right? Um, maybe not, you know? So, um... I, I don't feel like I'm living a, a, a life beyond my wildest dreams, and I certainly don't feel rocketed to the fourth dimension. Um, and if I spend the rest of my days eating accidentally, being honest, and being of service to the best of my ability, and being a part of the positivity and the solution in life, rather than the negativity and the problem in life, okay. I'd really rather, I mean, I'd rather, in addition to that, um, have a career as an artist that I long for. And I do have the desire to be an artist so that I, you know, put something out there that moves and touches and, and, and tickles the funny bones of, of people, uh, of, a, of an audience beyond my mother and, and my friends. Um, I don't know if it does move for me. Uh, I can only do my, my footsteps. So I don't know if that answers it for you. Um, but I do hear people talk, oh, I'm mean, just so awesome. I, I married a wonderful man. I met a program and I did a dream job. And, you know, I got problems, but I'm living a life beyond my wildest dreams. Can't quite say that. But if I listen back to this and it's like, yeah, all those positive things that your life is, yeah, that's pretty good. Like, not so shabby. Um, I am aware of lots of gratitude. I so much to be grateful for in my life. Um, so maybe I'm just being a stubborn little two-year-old about promises. Sorry, that was really long-winded. Here goes. Hello? Clearly you can't talk about it because you've got something going on here. So the question was, can I... The question was, can I talk about the internal piece that discovered you working with like that? Well, you know, I think there's just a lot less chatter in my head. I mean, there's chatter. It's a talkative neighborhood. It's a crowded place. Um, but I, you know, I do have a lot more peace. I have a lot more grace in my life. And I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop kind of gal. <laughs> um, but I do, I do have uh, some grace and some peace and quiet. Um, and I, I remember the first time I had surgery when I was in program and being wheeled into the operating room and you uh, take your glasses, so I, I'm pretty, you know, pretty far nearsighted, so I can't see, you're naked the day you came in, and it's cold and it's bright light, and there's all these people in masks and they're going to cut your body open. Um, and I remember being wheeled in and, um, and praying. 
you know, and, and really having that sensation that I was not being real in there alone. Um, and that was really different. You know, I'd had a, a number of surgeries before coming in program, um, and, and I, you know, there was one, I, it was a couple, couple surgeries, and I had a lot of surgeries, I'm sorry, but um, I, there was the anesthesiologist was just a mess, and he was trying to get a spinal image of a giant needle, and I'm going naked, I'm sitting on the side of the, this table, and he's trying to curl my back up so he can get into the right spot, and he's sticking me, and there's, I got guys leaning on me, trying to bend me. It's cold. I can't see. And I just remember praying my ass off. Um, and and um, at a certain point, I was like, please, God, help him. So you remain here, because clearly he needs your help. Um, and you know, it's one of those situations was so hairy. Um, and, and I just, in that moment, I, I had some peace. Um, and so, it's funny, you know, I, I talked about, you know, I'm not really down with God too much anymore. And you ask me this question, what do I talk about? I talk about praying and, and, and being, being carried and involved by God. But, um, you know, the, the fourth step uh, was really interesting to see how many repeated things. Uh, there were. I said, oh, this is my thing. This is what I do that creates resentment in my life. Hmm, maybe I'll avoid doing those things. You know, so that's created peace. There's just a lot less wreckage to clean up um, as I go about my day. And I make it, you know, you know, when we were on the board together, I had to make amends a few times. Um, but I do it quickly, you know, and so that gives me peace. So I don't hold resentment. I don't have that discomfort where I've been mean to somebody and I haven't cleaned it up. Did that answer your question? Yeah? Okay. All right. Yes. Thank you, Carol. Can you describe the first time you went to the fourth step? What was that like? Okay. All right. The question is the first time I went to the fourth step and what was it like? Um, I answered the questions in the OA workbook on the fourth step and then I did the columns. Um, and the columns, yeah, anybody doesn't know what they are, but they're in the book, big book. It's like, you know, what ha- who did it involve? What happened? Um, what did it affect? And what was my part, basically? Um, and I did it all in Excel. <laughs> it was long, and you know what? The uh, cell check function was not working, and I had to surrender that. I had to turn that over. This. And I'm not a very good speller, and that there was going to be typos and spelling mistakes. And that was my way of just like, okay, this can be messy because it's a messy business. Um, and I, like I, like I mentioned, I did see patterns. I saw patterns, and the patterns were really helpful because they let me know what sort of activity leads me astray. Um, and then. Being aware of that gives me the opportunity to avoid doing that behavior unless I want to, to be led astray and feel messy. Um, and, I, and I read it to my sponsor. I didn't have any sort of come to Jesus moment. We didn't weep and hug and burn anything. I just read it to her. And um, I didn't feel like a huge uh, weight coming off my shoulders from doing the fifth step. But the fifth step is my favorite step, A, because I love the sound of my own voice, 
I love to share, um, but but be you know what I when I do my ten step every day and I click send, that's a fifth step or like a fifteenth step or something, like ten point five. Um, I have found that giving away my mess uh, helps it to not come back so much. Um, so I don't know if that you know I don't have any really re- revelatory um, stories about my first book. So um, I have time for else. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Um, do you do anything in particular, like in the morning, to prepare yourself for the day and prepare for God? Um, the question is, do I do anything particular in the morning to prepare myself for the day or connect with God? Um, right now, what I do is, my freaking eighty-year-old mother calls me to get me out of bed. Like that, one of my characteristics was, you know, that I would not get out of bed. And it was very uh, damaging to my self-esteem and my, my goodwill towards myself. And uh, and I, it was getting worse. You know, it sort of started when my best friend died, and just like, oh, don't blame that. But I just got into a habit and a pattern, going to bed really late, and rolling out of bed at 11:30, and that doesn't make me feel good. Um, so I said, Uncle, I surrender. You know, I, my mom, I would complain about it to my mom, and she said, Yeah, I'm going to call you in the morning. Yes. Yeah. So she calls me and talks to me until I'm on the toilet because, <laughs> because then I know I won't go back this week. Um, and God help me, that at 49, that's what I how I get out of bed. I have the alarm that's 15 minutes and then her call or my sister will call if she's going to be busy. Um, and really, all all I can do is drag myself into the bathroom in the morning. I, I, I um, you know, my body is. Stiff and I'm pretty out of it anyway. Um, I used to read two pages of the big book on the toilet. <laughs> my, my favorite reading spot. And that was the start of my day. And the days that I would forget, I, I felt it. Um, but right now, I, I, I don't have um, a programming thing in the morning. But one of the things I do in the morning, except for Saturdays, is I get up, and I hit the toilet, and I make breakfast. I need breakfast because in the early program, remember I wasn't a breakfast eater. Um, I would talk to my sponsor at one o'clock, and she'd say, "Have you had lunch yet?" And I'd say, "I haven't had breakfast yet." So I had to train myself. This is what people do. They, you know, unless you like go for a run or there's something else you do before you so What you do? You get up and you fuel your body. That's what you do. So that's a loving way that I take care of myself. Um, is that I get up and I make breakfast, and then I pray before breakfast. Um, and I, I offer those things that I, that I mentioned. And during the day, I do read the two daily readers, and I, you know, I go to, go to three meetings a week. I really should go to more. I talk to my sponsor, and, and, um, and, and do those things. But I, I, you know, I pray a minimum of three times a day because I pray before I eat. But I don't, I don't pray and meditate in the morning. I can't imagine myself being up at four thirty to pray and meditate for an hour a person. Uh, who knows? But I wouldn't put your money on it. Um, like one or two minutes. I know I'm like really long-winded, so I'll give you a short question. I'll try to be short. Working from home. Thank you so much. Uh, working from home, do you find it hard to do all the question is, since I work from home, do I have trouble uh, being over the food all day? Um, the answer is, is no. And three meals a day and it's nothing in between, period, end of story. Uh, it's not an option, not a problem. So um, I, I don't know why the food doesn't call to me. 
I am incredibly grateful that I, I created that boundary with the help of whatever higher power and the, and the strength of this program. And God damn it, I stick to it. Like, really, you have to put a gun in my head to get me to break that. At this point, that's how I feel. So, I think that's the stuff time. So, thank you.